What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. JP Barrick is the founder and CEO of Mining Store. When he was a teenager, he originally got me into Bitcoin, so this conversation was a lot of fun. We spent the time talking about mining, the lack of debt in the industry, how electricity use cases are quickly evolving, where renewable energy comes into play, and what JP is building today. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Skirt, skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right, Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, motherfucking mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell him Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit Crypto.com. Pomp's got you, always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry, your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you got to do is go to coinmine.com, you buy a coin mine, it's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right, you purchase it, it shows up at your doorstep, you pull it out of the box, you plug it in, connect to your Wi-Fi, five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide, and then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just your update in your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them Pomp set you, and thank me later. As many of you know, crypto investors store their digital assets on exchanges or in cold storage for long-term safekeeping. However, this strategy doesn't help them grow their investment holdings or build overall wealth. With the new BlockFi interest account, users can now securely store their Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. 6% is an absurdly high rate. It's the best rate in the industry. I highly suggest you go check out BlockFi.com POMP. Again, that's BlockFi.com POMP to sign up and start earning crypto today. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, 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 bang. That's four of them for you today. Uh, sitting here with uh, JP. Uh, super excited to uh, record this. So thanks for uh, for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Pomp. Um, all right. You're young. How old are you? I am 22 and got in this space when I was 14, man. All right. So we, I met you when you were 16? Uh, no, 15 years old. Freshman 15? high school. All right. So 15. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um what did you do before you were 14 and discovered crypto? <laughs> so before I was in crypto, I ran a robotics camp. So I ran a robotics camp in my house and then got it in, started running into church and got up to about 50 people. And then what does that mean? A robotics, robotics camp? camp. So we were doing Lego robotics and teaching kids how to run these. They were called Mindstorm robots and getting them to compete and teaching them about programming. Um, and so when I was 15 years old, I won a statewide competition and placed first in it. And so then from there, started um, really learning about business and running companies, getting insurance, you know, how to do that from at 14 years old. 
Got it. And, and what like really drove your interest in robotics and, and starting companies? I think I just really like to see innovation. I like to uh, kind of scale my time and with capital and with hiring employees. Like the way I looked at it was like, okay, if I can get 10 kids in my camp and make $15 per kid per hour, well, I can make $150 an hour and I don't have to work my whole summer. So instead of working my whole summer, I work for three weeks out of the summer and pay for everything, mm-hmm. uh, which was a huge, you know, just kind of motivated me. For sure. Um, and so when do you first hear about Bitcoin and, and kind of crypto? So Bitcoin, I heard about it when it, when it spiked to $112 back in 2014, 2013 timeframe. Got into it as it started going down like 70, 80. We were trading in class in high school. You um, were trading Bitcoin in class? In class, man. When the Silk Road crashed, one of my friends ran into the classroom and said, Silk Road just crashed. The FBI sees the website. The teacher stopped teaching and we just started trading crypto and selling it. Like, what? Because, yeah, because there was like a small, I went to a very small school, 50, 50 kids per class, all guys. So the class sizes were 12 people mm-hmm. and 12 to 15 people. And next thing you know, Bitcoin, Silk Road's down, Bitcoin's crashing and did a flash crash. We're all buying and selling crypto. So most of the time we always be on our laptops in school, mm-hmm. just buy and sell crypto, altcoins. You know, we would be like, hey, what's the next coin to buy? Mm-hmm. Let's accumulate coins, we'll try to trade them. And from there, we just learned about the whole market, but it was really like the wild, wild west. You thought ICOs were bad. This was a whole other world of just crypto with just, let's just duplicate the blockchain, change nothing. (laughs) Were the teachers in on this? Um, Everyone knew I was the Bitcoin kid growing up in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, they... Some of them were like, okay, this is crazy. At one point, my principal asked me if I was mining on the school computers. And, were you? Uh, maybe. We, <laughs> we wrote scripts to like, basically whenever someone plugged a USB in and we it would just deploy like auto mining CPU stuff on the startup folders so that these machines would automatically start up whenever someone logged in and just mine crypto. <laughs> so, and, and so back then you could use the school's computers to mine. What, like like what, you were mining like, things like um, Datacoin or um, Primecoin, it's basically only CPU mining at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was really just us having too much time and being stuck in a school. And I'm just like, we have all these computers. Let's try to write code to deploy this across the whole network. And yeah, yeah, yeah. at that time, the principal approached me and he said, hey, I want to make sure that there's no mining on any of these computers. So just to make sure at the end of the week, there's not going to be anything. Not He's <laughs> like, I don't know anything about what's happening, but I'm just saying if there is happened to be mining on the computers. <laughs> well, was there any after the end of the week? <laughs> nope. We uh, cleaned up all of our mess and cleared all of the folders and we were good to go. <laughs> got it. And so, um, and, and then what did you do as you got towards the end of high school? Because we met when you were a freshman. Yep. Uh, I, I don't even remember the whole story, but basically I came into the class uh, and we were there like doing some kind of talk or something. Yeah, you were right? talking about you want to be transformers and you just came out of the military right before you went to Facebook. And you were kind of yep. like that, really that that kind of motivation for a lot of the people there showing mm-hmm. like, okay, you can build a company. You, I believe you sold you know, your startup and then went to Facebook. And that's kind of where we, you know, where the next four years, I, was, I went into Bitcoin and crypto. Mm-hmm. And then when you came back and, and when I was in college, kind of like that senior of well, high so school. What, before we get to that part, what did you do uh, after high school? Because you almost didn't go to college. Yeah. Right? So I guess during, during college, I was really into crypto building, just figuring out mining, understanding that. Once I got to college, I started, once it was 2016, so senior year in high school, I started mining store. So I was spending my time sleeping basically on the floor of a mine in Graham, North Carolina, which was about two hours away. So I would go to class in the morning, be done by 12, drive to the mine, work on the mining facility. We had about, we're mining about 500 Ethereum a day, had over 300 graphics cards, 
um, was one of like the first big Ethereum miners um, and used one of the first like FOS users. And basically, we're just sleeping on the floor of this facility, building these machines. Mm-hmm. And I'd, and during during the day, and then at night, I would wake up and you know, wake up in the morning and drive back to go to school. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a wild rush of how do you build a mining facility, learning everything we could. Mm-hmm. After that, um, the mining store continued. We started making a website. Uh, we started selling online products, and then started scaling the team and company and do multiple deployments. You know, for for PRTI, you know, the deployment for Nexio. So all these deployments with Sacramento Kings, and now mm-hmm. we're building modular. For facilities all across the world. Got it. And so what, what was the thought process as to why to mine Ethereum versus Bitcoin early on? And kind of how did you get to the point where you said, hey, I should go and mine Bitcoin and, and Ethereum with the facilities rather than just do hosting somewhere or keep using the school computers? Yes. I mean, I think when I started off, I actually had a company called Steampool and we were writing code for gamers to run this their mining equipment. So as you, I started off from just one individual graphics card. Mm-hmm. And I think try to attack, you know, where do you attack the mining problem? And now we're kind of like, how do we get nation states involved? How do we get large pension funds? How do we get real capital into this space? Mm-hmm. So it's just been a natural iteration of understanding the industry mm-hmm. and kind of the different layers you can play and where you can play. Got it. And, and so I guess as you continued down this path, talk about setting up that first mining facility, because I've seen the photos, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it's not the clean floor and, no. and you know, the uh, uh, the beautiful thing that you would see on website photos, but uh, the electricity ran and yep. you were able to mine. So, like, what's that process as, you know, a 17, 18-year-old kid uh, who's really just building a, a cryptocurrency mine at, at scale for the first time? Yeah, so it was like, you know, raised family and friend money, went ahead and de- bought 300 of these R9 390 graphics cards, really de- de- just deployed this facility. The first time we actually got everything built, there was really no procedures. It was all on wire racks and shelves. Um, it was in this giant old warehouse. Um, it was like old yarn facility, and they were just sucking air out as fast as they can. They did some hot and cold aisle separations. We turned on all the power supplies, and they were actually switched to single-phase power, and so they all started popping and smoking. And this was 4 in the morning after we worked all night on this stuff and had been working all day. Realized, okay, there's a problem. Now I have to go buy new power supplies. So it's just learning, and there was no stability. Every day the GPUs would crash because the hardware was just in such an early iteration. The PCIe Lane uh, risers cards, where they connect to the motherboard to the graphics card and allow you to run multiple graphics cards on a system. Basically, they were they were horrible, and they just were failing. And then eventually, they got better and better and better. So a lot of like maintenance work, a lot mm-hmm. of learning about what it means to run a facility. Mm-hmm. But it was dirty; it wasn't clean, you know. And then as times went on, we we started casing our machines. We did lar- like a large case order of over a, a thousand GPU cases mm-hmm. um, in 2018, and kind of started growing in that GPU space. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing that GPUs are going to, in my opinion, die off over the next two years. Mm-hmm. And FPGAs, well, FPGAs are going to come in and they're killing and they're buying, they're being backed by the major companies. What, talk a little bit about what a GPU is versus an FPGA. So a GPU is a graphic processing unit or an FPGA is a field processing graphic accelerator. So what that means is that it can do, it's like an ASIC, but it can do a lot more. Um, and it has more, it's, it's faster, it has memory on the chip. So there's a lot more memory uh, bandwidth there. So you can get, I mean, we're seeing really, really high hash rates on FPGAs compared to GPUs, like almost 10x increases. So mm-hmm. it's gonna blow away the market and the companies that are getting in are, are the, big, the big guys, the banks, mm-hmm. they're Netflix, they're Amazon, they're people that have FPGAs mm-hmm. that, oh, by the way, I'm gonna run my FPGA during the day when I'm doing my my sport broadcasting, when I'm doing my stock and analytics, mm-hmm. but at night there's nothing going on. We're going to mine crypto, and we're not mm-hmm. going to mine it. We're going to mine it. We're going to sell it, and mm-hmm. just 
so I don't know how well these GPU markets are going to be around for. Mm. And you know, being can you use the same piece of hardware to do like three D rendering, three yep, D rendering, uh, machine learning, AI? So that's the thought process. Is now you have a bankable uh, machine that can do other things. And to get um, 70% of Ethereum, you need like $500 million. Mm -hmm. And that can easily be raised with debt vehicles in this space now because mm -hmm. it is bankable. And, and, and so as you think about this, uh, when you were building that first facility, you were mining how much a day in Ethereum? We're mining over 500 Ethereum a day. Okay, so you're mining over 500 Ethereum. This is at you know a couple bucks, right? Yeah. And then it jumps to $10. And then I remember the big... Initial jump was was ten to like thirty dollars, yeah, right? Twenty four, thirty bucks, and then and, crashed. Yep, and then it ran to a hundred, right? And then from there, it obviously went absolute bonkers to fourteen hundred. But um, you know, at thirty dollars, five hundred—that's fifteen thousand yep. dollars. And if you're doing that every day, it's like half a million bucks a month, yep. right? And you're doing this at again seventeen, eighteen years old. Like, what's going through your head? Well, I always think it was just it was just crazy. You have you know thousands of these Ethereum that you have mining in your next. You know, it appreciates in value super fast. You're like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Like, what is this? Where is this? Where is this going? The network hash rate was going so fast. Mm -hmm. Went from 500 Ethereum maybe down to like 20, and mm -hmm. that just deploying those machines over a couple months mm -hmm. because we were one of the first farms out there. When you know mining at the two dollar, three dollar range, mm -hmm. and at that point, you know, you're making a thousand five hundred dollars a month a day. But it's just insolence is insane just to mm -hmm. see the whole thing explode just so quickly. And, you know, we're just getting into building out these larger facilities for other people. It's like there's a huge, massive shortage of graphics cards. And mm -hmm. at that time, it was the markets, you know, just went crazy. Like, yeah. And, and so, okay, so, so you're doing this, you've got mining store. And over time, you went from more like direct to consumer selling hardware and, and things like that on the website to now building out these facilities. Um, give us a quick overview of like what exactly you're doing now and then we can get into some of the, the nuances of your strategy. Yeah, so right now we're working on basically building turnkey mining facilities that are in modular buildings and that we basically What does that mean? So it means that you 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 build a almost like an aircraft hangar and you put all the mining equipment in it and it, it's quick deployments. So mining's all about deployment speed. How fast can you deploy uh, and how cost-effective can it be? And we try to do it directly on the power source, power generation. So we work with independent power producers, solar farms, wind farms, um, anywhere we can put this mobile infrastructure and, and build, basically build it out um, in a modular fashion so that you know, you're not building a giant 100-megawatt building, but there maybe will be 10 smaller 6-megawatt buildings. Um, and so that's really what we're focused on right now is building um, these these modular facilities, turnkeys for customers, you know, $10 million, $20 million, build it, $20 million per building, fully immersion, immersion cooling. Um, if, you know, that's where we see the best return is right now in mining is with the immersion cooling custom firmware on the machines and we can get the, the best value. So there's not much maintenance on it. Um, there can be remote, they can use stranded energy. And really that's what we're focused on is how do we use all the excess power that we have that isn't actually going to consumers. And there's a lot of it in the world. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that in a modular fashion? Got it. Okay. And so one of the, the core theses I want to talk about that you have is this idea that um, everything historically in the mining business has been equity-based, right? So you go and you raise money in some sort of venture capital type models. They, they buy equity in your company. You take that capital, you deploy it. They use cash flows to keep investing. Mm -hmm. um, but credit has been uh, non-existent in the industry for quite a while. So either banks won't lend against the stuff, they don't understand it, or traditional investors around bonds, et cetera, hasn't existed. One, talk about the problem first, and then we'll, we'll talk about how you're uh, trying to solve it. Sure, so I think the biggest problem the mining space uh, you know, feels and, and has been is the credit. There's, like you mentioned, there is no credit here. 
everyone is passing the same money around. It's all cash, all upfront, no payment terms, no one has banking. And that's just been the nature of the industry. Uh, you know, we're seeing with Canon filing their S1 and, and looking to get on this, they're saying, we're not going to Bitcoin mine, but they need exposure. They want exposure to the underlying assets. So we're going to see a class of products come out that'll give institutional investors um, exposure to these, you know, these infrastructure investments. Infrastructure is what builds the world and uh, infrastructure is built and financed through bonds. So, you know, we're seeing huge interest in for, for secured, for insured bonds um, to go ahead and really build this industry up. Got it. And so it, describe when you say a secured bond, like what exactly is the structure that you think works here? So you can securitize a bond with um, the asset value, with uh, an ABS, which is an asset-backed security, with Bitcoin you have in collateral. So there's a huge opportunity to use all of this crypto that's sitting there and to really um, use it as collateral to then have the miners generate interest on um, on generate interest for that crypto. So we're seeing right now, you know, most miners lay down their cash, they outlay their cash all up front, and their goal is to make more money um, than, than they started with, you know, then, and so $13 million, put up $10 million, in three years, you might get 13 million. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's great, but it's very risky. You're laying out all your cash up front. So we're saying, how do we get the miners to not pay the interest in principle or the principal back? How do you get the miners just to cover your interest and then everything else is extra? So it's using these bonds that have, uh, you know, seven, eight, 9% interest rates, and that's even high in the bond market to basically really funnel it in into crypto and understanding that over time, if you're doing a five or 10 year bond, that value of that fiat is going to go down versus the value of Bitcoin, just as we see with the having and because of Bitcoin's nature of being a scarce asset. For sure. And, and so how does this change the ecosystem in terms of uh, people's access to capital, what they can build, how quickly, et cetera? Like, what's the impact? Well, I think in 24 months, the mining space is going to be very different. You're going to look, we're going to have a, a like an internet boom where there's going to be so much capital in this space. It's going to be searching for yield. Once the vehicles are there, once the on-ramps are there and they're built for companies, um, everyone's going to want exposure to this asset. Energy companies are already saying, how do we use our natural gas? How do we use our stranded energy? Once the bond market is there, once the, the financial vehicles are there and the hedging is there and the, the derivatives and the swaps and everything is there to protect this asset to be able to give you a flat payout. Now it's just, okay, borrow the money for 6%. I make maybe 30% a year. You keep the spread and you do that at scale. And that 30%, how do you calculate that? Um, so I use, I build all my models off of the US dollar per terahash ratio, which is how much uh, dollars one terahash uh, provides back to you. So right now that's at like 20 cents today per terahash, and that's been as high as, you know, $100 um, before uh, ASICs came out. This number constantly goes down. So we see uh, degradation of about 1% to 2% a month every single month in, in profitability decrease. And then during the halving, it's another 50%. So I try to build my models off of that, and we're seeing that the immersion cooling facilities with custom firmware um, at a very cheap power source. You know, $40 a kilowatt hour um, is like where you can be kind of, where you can last in the market right now. We expect that to come down. But, uh, you know, there isn't much power available, but less than $25, $20, unless it's very, very small and stranded. Skirt, skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right, Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, mother mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell him Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit Crypto.com. 
Pomp's got you, always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry, your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you gotta do is go to coinmine.com, you buy a coin mine. It's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right, you purchase it, it shows up at your doorstep, you pull it out of the box, you plug it in, connect to your Wi-Fi, five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide, and then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just you're updating your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them Pomp set you, and thank me later. One more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds, so you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today. In terms of um, these facilities and, and Bitcoin, etc., is it all Bitcoin mining, or do you think that uh, Ethereum, you know, Grin, what, whatever other kind of uh, tokens and, and networks that are out there, uh, do you think there's going to be interest in the other stuff, or is it all well, just Bitcoin? I think it's mainly Bitcoin. Bitcoin mining has the biggest you know, driving force. It did five billion dollars in rewards in 2018. It has the largest mining impact out there. As I mentioned, FPGAs are going to crush the GPU coins, in my opinion, and will there, there's going to be a squeeze of the market there. There's going to be a lot of profitability lost and a lot of new players that have well financed so you know for this space growing i think it is a lot of bitcoin as we've seen that the pow coins are the ones to really capture most of the value and what do you think is the one thing that people should be thinking about or talking about that they're not i think people need to understand why digital assets that are secure or that are digital assets that are scarce have value um, a lot of people right now, we see all these networks, like all these POS networks that are trying to move to staking. And the big conversation is if you're not spending real world capital, if you're not creating jobs, if you're not using energy, your coin's not going to have value. Staking is great, but it doesn't cost much money to stake coins. But putting, deploying infrastructure, shipping machines across the globe, hiring all this staff, all these people's time and energy and money is going into building these projects and the real infrastructure investments into electrical equipment, into building, into land, into mining equipment. That makes a huge impact on a coin. But that's why we see Ethereum has such um, you know, much better price stability compared to all the other networks out there. It's because they have a large group of networks that are miners that have been supporting them throughout the four or five, you know, for four years, I guess. Yeah, and, and it's really just turning your electricity into money, right? Exactly. In some degree. So we're seeing this transition from you know we gold backed money to now kind of where money is uh, backed by oil, where we are now, where it's all denominated and traded in U.S. dollar oil. And to, oil is energy. Oil is energy. Yeah. So we're moving down to the next one, which is like electrons. So now every electron is going to back your your cryptocurrency, and that's kind of what Bitcoin is backed by. Bitcoin is backed by these electrons that we're spending to secure the network. You know, we talk about the biggest computer in the world. Well, that's it. These, these electrons that we're spending to secure the network are, it's, it's the most important thing to making scarce digital assets have value. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then um, let's talk about kind of the energy sources. What are the most popular energy sources? And then I want to really talk about renewable energy versus not renewable energy. 
So yeah. what, what today, like, what do you see as the most popular energy sources for mining? So right now we're seeing a huge explosion in natural gas. It's starting to come up. There's a lot of people that like to deploy are looking at deploying 30 megawatt turbines because they're quick and easy and um, you can you can you can basically deploy a lot of power in a very short amount of time. We're seeing solar and wind farms are where you can get really good rates, you know, close to the two cent power, uh, but it isn't as it's not 24 seven. So you need you need grid connected or you need another power source there to subsidize it. So um, we're seeing those type of industries. Then we're also seeing interest from the nuclear industry coming in saying we have an extra gigawatt that we can turn on basically instantly. But we, uh, you know, we need to make sure we have constant use for it. So there's a lot of opportunity there, and that's another very, very cheap power source. Um, you know, like I said, forty dollars a kilo a megawatt hour is kind of the bare minimum that you know you're going to be able to play in the space for right now. And we're going to see that move down over time. But at the end of the day, it's really not the cost of power that's the biggest issue for the industry. It's that credit we mentioned. It's that lack of access to capital. Um, and and we're hoping that. As we've learned, as these companies are building, um, and as our mining store keeps building these products for co- for companies, for pension funds, for hedge funds, for family offices, start getting exposure to this space. That it's really going to help move money into the blockchain infrastructure um, in the community and on a bigger scale. Got it. And, and so, is the thought process on the power really? Um like one of the, the knocks against Bitcoin, for example, from the detractors is uh, it wastes a bunch of energy, right? Mm-hmm. I'm probably more in the camp of Bitcoin mining drives uh, adoption and development of renewable energy. Uh, agree, disagree? Definitely agree. In Bitcoin mining, people painted a bad picture as one of the worst PR plays for the whole industry. And it's like, oh, your Bitcoin is you know t- sucking up all of our power. Well, the nice thing about it is there's unlimited amounts of energy in this world. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. So we have all of this excess opportunity here that's not that's going to waste that's going up in the air methane gas so really we have an energy problem in the world and that's there's too much energy Mm. we don't we can't there's not enough storage technology to store it battery storage is so far along well bitcoin mining is a new battery storage it's storing the energy in the blockchain it's using that energy right where it is and getting some money for it today Mm -hmm. and that's huge yeah, and, and I think part of the reason why it's so interesting is uh, this idea of the battery source. So you see like Tesla, for example, with the power walls and, and all this stuff is we can uh, actually generate more energy than we can store. And so to your point, the excess power right now is being wasted. If we can somehow capture that, whether that's um, you know companies like uh, Caruso Energy who are um, capturing the flare gas, right? You guys going down and doing a bunch of stuff on the renewable side, uh, PRTI who's turning car tires into uh, energy that's in, used to mine. Um, there's a lot of people with hydro, with wind, etc. Um, it's a really interesting way to take energy production that would otherwise be wasted and turn it into uh, what ends up being the most powerful computing network in the world. Exactly, and it provides big. Bitcoin mining provides us a network to sell that those electrons anywhere in the world. That's a you know, great thing. You have these giant countries that are outside of the, the banking system, outside of the, you know, like Venezuela, Brazil, Iran, that have all of this oil. They have all of these natural resources. They can't sell it to the market. Well, they're just going to start using it themselves and mining Bitcoin at scale. And over the next 10 years, I strongly believe we will see nation states start mining crypto, either if they announce it or not. But once the race starts, once, once one country does it, it's going to be a race of how many how many? How much bonds can I issue? How much real capital can I deploy? And that, that's why I think this space is going to explode in the next two years. Do you think they're already doing it? I don't think. I think maybe at small scales, but not to the scale that we're going to see in the future. It's. It's. They're testing it. People are starting to talk about it. People are saying, "Okay, Bitcoin's went from three thousand to fourteen thousand. It's not dead. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to die. 
we need to continue. Because when we were talking to people when it was at $3,000, they were like, don't even mention Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So we had to say, like, this is the benefits of Bitcoin mining without actually saying Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And then eventually they're like, wait, this is Bitcoin. And we're fine talking about it, but the price is now $14,000 or $10,000. Yep, got it. And, and so as those nation states come in, um, one of the concerns, I think, around mining is that there could be a 51% attack, right? Or yep. like, like the, the uh, mining pools have uh, a ton of leverage over the market. How do you think about 51% attacks and nation states with their big balance sheets coming into the space, et cetera? I mean, it's going to be, I think it's going to be hard for someone to scale to that size um, without other players noticing and, and jumping in. It's, there's a, the industry has really, uh, you know, been, I guess, not distributed, but it's we've gotten more players in this space. Bitmain doesn't have the 50% control they did. They've had some you know issues in the past, so that's where they've lost some control. And now these other companies like Canon, you know, Silicon, What's Miner are starting to really come up and uh, produce comparable machines. The problem was when Bitmain had all the chips, that's when we were really concerned about 51% attacks. I think right now it's just the, the industry is growing so fast and there's so much capital that's going to enter the space. Now it's going to be really hard for any one individual to get enough chips to amass a 51% attack. That's the real issue. The biggest problem behind credit in this space is is uh, Bitcoin mining chips. There's, you know, they're not shipping anything until February now, so um, it's about four months to get a mining, you know, new miners and the chip production with 5G and in the TSMC factory where they make these where these make these mining chips, um, you know, they're full. And the, in, in the past, Bitmain and other companies have, you know, they've they've had problems with with financing and paying those bills. Mm. So they're not allocating the type of, I guess, production, chip production to these companies that they should mm. uh, because they're protecting themselves and just doing 5G. So we have maybe 5 or 10% of the chip production uh, for TSMC for Bitcoin miners. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be hard when the price shoots up and everyone wants them. You know, that's why we saw S9s trade from $2,000 when they started off to over $9,000 a piece. And we had big banks come in and buy S9s for very, very expensive prices. And now those same units are around $170. So we'll see the same type of trend with the S17. Bitcoin miners are a derivative for Bitcoin. What are the S17s at right now? I would say you can get an S17 at bulk for around $2,500 shipped to the U.S. And um, Why are they so much expensive than the uh, S9s? Because the S9s well, are like S9s came out at $2,000 when they started, but um, it's just... That's kind of where the hash rate is, what the hash rate is worth right now. Mm -hmm. I personally believe that, you know, these companies actually, uh, Bitmain had an SSH hack and they were able to, people were able to see underneath the firmware. And I think that these companies d deliver the machines and they have them running at 40 terahashes and they slowly software upgrades. They're not, whatever, all these new S, all these new Bitmain S17s they're launching, it's just software. They already run 80 terahashes, 100 terahashes in my opinion on their machines. Mm -hmm. So they're just slowly cranking it up for everyone else. Like, oh yeah, we're going to give you an extra 10 terahashes. People are starting to write this code. And once that uh, SSH, SSH bug came out, mm. everyone was like, wait, Bitmain can get these machines way higher than they're talking. So really, it's like overclocking the machines. Oh, it's overclocking the machines. So what does a S17 come out at? Right now, out of the box, it's like uh, 60 terahashes. When they launched the first one, it was like 43. And okay. now they're 60. And now they're 70. And how much do you think you can overclock one now? I think you'll get to, I think in a year, they'll be at 100. And this is from you know conversations with people. That but that's like, software that if I buy one today, I can hold on to it, and then I can just continue no, they're, to upgrade no, they're the not software. No, they're not going to they're not going to upgrade the software in old units because they're talking. No, no, no. I'm saying if I overclock it myself. If, if you found out how to get around the software, and if you put a new operating system on it, I think software, the community itself will continue to develop you know really good software mm -hmm. that's going to be able to compete against Bitmain. But you know these companies have such an advantage, and they're running these machines at higher than what they're retailing them for, at least in my opinion. Got it. Okay. And that's. And in, in, in your opinion, as you look at, out at, um, at at kind of the 
evolution of the hardware, uh, at what point do we get where um, the ASIC production outperforms or, or outpaces like the um, the uh, GPUs or, or other types of computing hardware? Do we get to that point where it's so valuable to mine this stuff that uh, we end up um, seeing ASICs outperform? Or do we stay in an environment where um, GPUs due to 3D rendering, self-driving cars, DNA sequencing, et cetera, uh, continues to outpace the ASIC Well, production. I think for GPUs, they're going to be completely gone, uh, and those are what we're doing right now. But then the FPGAs, they're going to come in, and they're going to replace the GPU. And the FPGA can't replace an ASIC. An ASIC is only for you know Bitcoin mining. It's very, very specific, where FPGA has a lot of availability to change um, and what the applications could be. With regarding ASICs and kind of where we're growing, I mean, I think over the next uh, 10 years, ASICs might change in shape and size. Right now, everyone builds very small shoebox-like ASICs, mm -hmm. but I think we'll see that trend start to change as companies start to build much larger scale operations, you know, full shipping containers, um, you know, million-dollar ASICs, things that are petahashes um, and have lots and lots of hash rate, large immersion boards. Basically, we're going to start seeing some massive, um, basically op uh, significant decrease in uh, cost from scaling. And as we kind of change the structure of these machines and look more to institutional clients that are fine writing $10 million for one machine mm -hmm. compared to spending, you know, buying 3,000 of these small little devices with more parts that can break and more unneeded uh, components. For sure. And do you feel like um, the mining uh, business um, as the derivatives, as the credit, et cetera, expands, uh, it'll go from more of like a data center kind of hidden in the shadows type business to literally like office buildings will just have it. Like t talk a little bit about what you guys with Sacramento Kings and kind of yeah. how they're using their power and so, how that might I mean, so play into this. Yeah, so with the Sacramento Kings, we're working with them to do Mining for Good, which is a charity initiative to basically mine in their data center they have in their stadium and donate uh, some of the profits to the, these charities in the local area. But I don't think we'll see mining in apartment buildings. I don't think we'll see mining in offices. I think mining is going to be off close to the power where it's produced and it's going to be used when the grid doesn't need it. So during the night, during the day when you know there's no air conditioning units on, but when we have those peak load hours, which are usually 7 to 9 a.m. and you know 4 to 6 p.m., when everyone's home, when everyone's running their air conditioning, when everyone's doing stuff with electricity, those miners are going to shut down. So we're going to, mining is, I think in my opinion, is going to provide a lot of grid stability in a modular fashion um, to the grid all around the world. And that's to the countries that adopt it, the people, the infrastructure, the utility providers that understand the benefit of mining, that work with miners to do this, are the ones that are going to you know, not be left behind. Why doesn't every electricity company just do this? They should. Every It's because they're scared. They don't understand the technology. Every independent power producer should be mining Bitcoin. Every state-owned oil and gas company should be mining Bitcoin. Every oil and gas company that's flaring gas, that's putting methane into the air, should be mining crypto. They don't understand it. They're scared. The products that come into this space in the next five years are going to help de-risk the industry mm -hmm. and provide the financialization that we need to make this asset uh, class really something that you know is is going to be able to scale and, and not be right now where everyone's paying with cash for everything. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Um, what uh, where, where can people find you on uh, online and find out more about what you guys are doing with Mining Store? Yeah, so you can check us out at miningstore.com. I'm JP Barrick on Twitter. Uh, we have an email list for investors and for customers. We send out uh, about once a month to get people updated. I'm also going to start putting stuff on YouTube. And yeah, that's where you can find me and the company. And where do you live? I live in Houston, Texas now and moved down there a couple months ago. Why, why in uh, Houston? Houston is the energy capital of the world, man. It's going to be a big Bitcoin mining space, I think, and the industry is really going to grow there with the energy companies. 
that uh, that makes sense. Um, what uh, before I wrap up, I always ask rapid fire questions. What do you think is the most important company in crypto other than a mining store? <laughs> most important company in crypto, man. I think like some of the. I mean, I kind of being a miner, I have a bias, but these like matrix port and these people that are building on top of mining so matrix ports bitmain but these companies that are building on top of this infrastructure how do we use coins how do we lend how do we gain interest on coins that conversation is very interesting to me so there's blockfi you know there's a lot of companies that are doing celsius but yep and and uh, what do you think is the one regulation that should be changed or improved if you could we just need more clarity especially here in the US i mean i think the the biggest thing is you know having a way for uh, to really like STOs potentially, but in the U.S. it's very hard with the security offering. We're not seeing much liquidity here, so being able to f- issue capital, being able to find issue find capital and issue shares uh, to investors, and being able to have people that you know understand the project just to invest and not have to be accredited investors. It's we've had a lot of scams with that with the ICO world, um, but I think as the industry matures, hopefully we can build something that lets people lets people do that. Aliens, real or not? You know what, man? We're in Nevada. I don't know if I see any right now, but I think so. Why? Why? I mean, it's just hard to believe that we're the only ones out here. It's a crazy world, and now the government's funding, you know, alien research projects. So it's kind of a one step in the alien direction. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, What uh, one question do you have for me to finish up? Where do you see the mining space in ten years? Oh, I think everybody who has electricity and Wi-Fi is going to be uh, mining. <laughs> everyone, everyone, even if no, it's 12 I, cents. <laughs> no, I, I just think that uh, it's a no-brainer, right? Anytime that you can have a predictable um, revenue source by taking electricity and turning it into uh, revenue um, it is, uh, one, really uh, valuable, and two, um, can, uh, can can become quite uh, interesting. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me at all if you see big dollars flow into the space of the next uh, you know two to four years uh, where people kind of get back on the mining train. Yeah, I, think I agree with you. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate thanks, you uh, uh, calling in. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.